Hello, I'm Adam, and welcome to the Learn Chinese Insights podcast, brought to you by ChineseLearnOnline.com, your progressive online course teaching Mandarin Chinese. So, with me today, I have Jason Skirman. Uh, Jason, before we get started, why don't you give a brief introduction of yourself in Chinese, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Uh, 大家好，我是 Jason Skirman， 中文名字叫舒介生。然后我以前是在中国大陆那边工作，然后后来搬到台湾来学中文，也是来工作。呃，我三十一岁，还有我是美国人。呃、um, ，Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pretty good. All right. So you're an American, and before you spend some time in、uh, mainland China, that's before, right. Yeah. yeah. Before coming to Taiwan. Yeah. So so let's start off with.、Uh, so before that, you were in America. Yeah, I'm from the U.S. I'm from Michigan in the U.S. And、uh, after I graduated from university, also in Michigan, I moved to China to Shanghai. Okay, so let's talk about how did you go from Michigan to China? Like, was that part of your degree, or how did that end up? Kind of.、Uh, my degree was in East Asian studies, so it was more generally Japan, China, and Korea, and of course that includes Taiwan as well a little bit. But、uh, I studied language-wise. I actually studied Japanese in university, but then I went on an abroad program in my final year to China, a philosophy program actually.、Um, and then when I was in China, I became very interested in learning Chinese on my own because I was about to graduate from university, so I couldn't go back and. Take actual classes, so I started studying on my own, and then when I graduated, I decided to move back to、uh, to China. Okay, so when you after graduating, when you moved to China, did you already have a job lined up, or did you know what you're going to do? Yeah, I was teaching. I had a job teaching English lined up through a friend of mine, and、okay. uh, yeah, so when I arrived, I immediately started teaching adult、uh, ESL, which was which was rather interesting. So, what city was this? That was in Shanghai. In Shanghai. All right. Yeah. So you started teaching. So when you went to Shanghai,、uh, how was your Chinese at that point? It was okay.、Uh, I, I put a lot of work into learning Chinese before I moved there. So on the original abroad program, the first time I went to China, I was there for about three months, and I was also pretty、um, proactive about studying and learning Chinese and practicing Chinese. And then I went back to the U.S. had like about a year to、uh, practice even more Chinese. And then by the time I got there, I'd say I was decent. At like basic, very basic conversation, but I couldn't、uh, have anything beyond that. Like, an, an, yeah, probably elementary level, I'd say. So, when you're in the U.S., when you say practice Chinese, like, who are you practicing with? I actually, I had a good friend who had studied five years of Chinese in university, who I met through the Japanese program, and、uh, he kind of tutored me. He was an American, but he had very good pronunciation, and he was very knowledgeable about Chinese grammar. And、uh, so, most of my practice was actually with with another American. <laughs> Um, before I moved to China, so did people walking by find it strange to see two well, white guys talking in, to each other in Chinese? In order to avoid such a situation, we would often practice at this、uh, Albanian cafe, <laughs> small little cafe in our in our hometown, and、uh, most of the people there were Albanian and、uh, other places around the world, and so it was a very international vibe. So that helped. Oh, okay. Do you do you find?、Uh, Like another American teaching Chinese. Now people、mm. might might consider that strange. Why are you learning from an American as、right. opposed to a native Chinese speaker? But there's some advantages to that, I would think. What、well, What do you think about that? I, I definitely agree. I think there's a ton of advantages as long as the person is qualified, you know,、Obviously. legitimately qualified. 
um, and they have a good good accent and they're able to you know pronounce Chinese correctly. That's that's really important too. Um, so what would you say are the advantages? Uh, I, I would say that being able to help a native speaker of English make the connections to English from Chinese, right, right is easier for someone who's also a native speaker of English. So, for example, uh, you know, providing anecdotes or stories or other examples from that native speaker's uh, personal experience, the teacher's personal experience, can really help another native speaker, the, the student, understand and make those connections themselves more quickly and maybe more... Uh, make it more personal because mm -hmm. they can relate to the teacher's experience more directly than if it were, say, just somebody, you know, from China who maybe right. has a very different background. Um, and then also the grammar, I think. Grammar, I think, Chinese grammar has a reputation as being very easy, but that doesn't mean it's not important, right? Right. And uh, in order to, sometimes in order to understand grammar really well, it's easier to start in your own language, I think. Hmm. And think about have someone explain it to you using English and say, well, it's kind of like the way we do it in English, but it's a little different because right. in Chinese and blah, blah, blah. And I think uh, that can help speed up the process and, again, like strengthen those connections. Right. Uh, so I'd, I'd say those are the, probably the biggest. You definitely still need to practice with a native speaker, but sure. uh, having that non-native or shared experience with another native English speaker can definitely be helpful. Right. Uh, so other than this guy, you mentioned also practicing with other natives. Did you have people there you could practice with? In the, in the U.S., no. I went to a couple. I remember when I would go to like Chinese restaurants and stuff like that, I would try to spark up very basic conversations with my waiters and waitresses right. who often were not Chinese. So I was making the assumption that they were. <laughs> and I remember one woman going, I'm sorry, what are you, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, I thought you were Chinese. She's like, no, I'm Cambodian. And I was like, okay, sorry. <laughs> So it was mostly once I got to China that I was able to practice with native speakers. All right. So once you're in Shanghai, um, is it, was it easy to practice the Chinese you'd learned or did you have to make an effort to actually use it? I would say it was pretty easy. I think uh, I'm not sure. In my experience, China is a little bit easier this way than Taiwan because maybe uh, – the average person you interact with has a, like a generally a little bit lower level of English maybe. And so they're more quickly, they'll more quickly go to Chinese as the language to communicate with you with. So even in a place like Shanghai. Yeah. I mean, especially with the cab drivers and store clerks and people, you strangers you meet at the bar or at a restaurant or something mm -hmm. uh, on a university campus or in a work environment, I think people would more likely use English with you. But when you're out and about, uh, it's almost always Chinese. They, you know, they just speak directly to you in Chinese. Right. So that was helpful. Now Shanghai also has their own local dialect. Are yes. There, are there people who speak exclusively in that, or is everyone talking Mandarin? I would say the only people who do not speak what they call Putonghua, right, which right. is Mandarin, but standard Chinese mainland Mandarin, um, are probably the very quite old people. And even them, I'd say almost all of them probably do also speak Putonghua these days. All right. So it wasn't an issue there. No, no. You hear it. You hear it quite a bit. And once you know how to recognize it, because there's other dialects in China too, right? And Shanghai is so diverse that you hear a lot of dialects. But once you recognize the Shanghai dialect, you can hear it pretty easily. It's very different. Got it. It sounds very, uh, it's very interesting, actually. Yeah. With, with me, when I came to Taiwan, I was learning Chinese. And I found when I speak to other people, I'm speaking Chinese, they're speaking back to me. But when they're speaking to each other, they were using Taiwanese. And at yeah. the time, I couldn't make the distinction. So I kept yeah. wondering, 
why is it I can't understand when they're talking to each other, but I understand when they're talking to me? Yeah, that's very frustrating, right? Like, right. yeah. And then thinking you understand parts of it, trying to like guess, but you know, you never know if you're right. And yeah. Got it. All right. So, uh, so how long did you spend in Shanghai? Uh, I actually ended up moving to Nanjing for about a year and a half and then moving back to Shanghai, but I, total I was there for about five years. All right. And what was the experience like Nanjing versus Shanghai? Uh, Nanjing was like, it, it's a second tier city, quote unquote, right? So it's a smaller city than Shanghai by probably, uh, it's like a fifth of the size of Shanghai. I mean, Shanghai is massive. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was nice that it was it was more intimate. The people there were friendlier. I'd say they had more time to chat with strangers and stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit less commercialized. Some of the older architecture is still up, and uh, it was a it was a relatively pretty city. There was lots of parks and a cool Xuanwuhu, this lake at the north side of the city. And uh, I really I really enjoyed Nanjing. I also met a lot of uh, cool foreigners and stuff. And I think. Just like the Chinese, the local Chinese, the, the foreigners have more time for strangers, too. <laughs> it's a smaller city, right? Kind of like Taipei and another right. uh, tier city in, tai in Taiwan. I'd say it's pretty similar. All right. So eventually, what prompted you to move to Taiwan? Uh, well, I was, after about five years in China of working really, really hard on my Chinese and then also getting some work related to translation and using my Chinese, I was like pretty intent on continuing down that path. And I was at the time considering doing a master's in Chinese language or teaching Chinese as a foreign language or something. Mm -hmm. uh, and to do serious academic work in the U.S., you probably, it's, it's almost, it's a requirement or it's very strongly encouraged to understand both traditional and simplified. Oh, okay. Because a lot of the older, uh, this is specifically for studying, if I were to do the master's in Chinese language, uh, you need to be able to read certain texts and stuff like that that uses traditional. At the time, I knew zero traditional characters. Hmm. Uh, so I figured, okay, well, I, I understand China quite well. I've traveled all over China. I speak mainland Chinese, and I've never been to, I've never even been to Taiwan. And it's this other country that speaks Chinese, but it's not China, you know, and it has shared cultural background, but the accent's different. They use different characters. And so I felt like, a little stint in Taiwan would be good for my uh, my general understanding of the Chinese speaking world, but then also help me for academic purposes in the future. Now, uh, do, you, do you know the type of person that takes uh, that does a master's in Chinese? Is it mostly native Chinese people who do that, or is it are there yeah. a lot of non foreign non Chinese who do that? I think it's mostly native speaking Chinese people. Okay. Uh, from my from my general understanding, I'm not totally sure, but from what I've seen, it, I feel like it's more, it, it's usually, or sometimes they could be like a, an American-born Chinese or mm, right. someone from other, another Some place. Chinese background. Yeah, yeah, where they have some more familiarity with Chinese on a basic level, even before right. they start learning. Um, and then, yeah, but there's also scholars, lots of non-native sure. Chinese-speaking scholars and stuff too, I'd say, but... Actually, yeah, actually, uh, going back to when you were learning on your own, yeah, uh, what was your, did you do characters, everything all at once? Actually, I kind of, part of what I was trying to do with my own learning was experiment with kind of learning in a non-traditional way. Because I, I had learned Japanese in university and lived in Japan for a short summer period during university as well, and felt like the traditional way of learning didn't really helped me as much as I would have liked, especially in terms of like practical communication, right? So can you give me an example when you say traditional, like what are you referring to? 
uh, like in the classroom with a textbook, lots of writing with a pen and practicing mm. characters over and over at the time, kanji, obviously Japanese characters, but they're the same. And, uh, the writing is the same. And then practicing the writing and memorizing words just by writing them and looking at words and words and focusing more on, uh, memorization and mm. textbook, uh, drills so rather, what, yeah. rather than like actually practicing. Right. Um, so and, practicing speaking. Yeah, practicing speaking. But then another thing that I think the traditional learning uh, systems, especially in schools and stuff, are still kind of behind on is typing instead of writing. Right. Right. With Chinese, like the fact that you can now type using either Pinyin or Julian or whatever system you choose, the fact that you can type it out without necessarily having to write out the character and even know how to write the character means that you can, once you can read and right. speak, you can communicate with text as well. Right. Right. And you don't need to learn. I mean, you, not that you don't, you don't, you should never learn how to write. I, I do think there's a very important lesson, like learning how to write Chinese characters is very important. I'm not trying to say it's not, but, uh, I, you can kind of skip it if you choose in the beginning and then come back to it. I think as long as you, you know, you learn how to read well enough by recognizing characters and then practice typing a lot. Sure. Um, and not only that, it actually, not only does it get you around writing, it also helps you with pronunciation because you're constantly reinforcing the pronunciation by typing it out. Hmm. Whereas if you only write the character, you're not writing out the pronunciation. You're just writing out. So many times, I think people in the past would have a, a, a different problem where they would know how to write something, but they wouldn't know how to speak it. Ah. Right. But if right. you do this method where you focus more on reading and typing, that's usually never the case because you can remember if you can type it, you have, you have to know the pronunciation, obviously. Right. So, so, yeah. So when you were learning on your own, by the time you got to China, how would you say like your reading ability compared to your speaking? Well, I, I made a rule for myself that I wouldn't, anything I knew how to say, I would learn the character for. Okay. And so I remember frequently I'd be like in a taxi or something. And this is before, this is like right when iPhones and iPads and stuff were coming out. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think I had a, an original iPod touch. Okay. And whenever a taxi driver with me would have a conversation and they would throw a new word in there that I was going to start, that I understood and I was going to start using, I would make sure to look it up and write it down as in make a note of it and say, okay, I'm going to learn how to read this word and then also therefore be able to type it because I know the pronunciation now. Uh, so, so, this, yeah. so this list of words that you're picking up, how, did you use like flashcard programs or how did you memorize them? I was pretty basic. Like I, I had, a, I remember I had a, a document that I just had this giant list of words. Okay. And uh, this is in the very, very beginning. And I would just add to this giant list, and every once in a while, I'd go through the entire list and okay. test myself on everything. And then eventually, um, the the first versions of Anki hmm. came out, and I remember I started using Anki on my computer, and I used that a lot. Right. Uh, in the very beginning, and originally with my own flashcards, but then I started adding uh, some of their other flashcards, and I found that very useful. All right, got it. Okay, so let's fast forward back to you're in China, <laughs> and you're planning to move to Taiwan. So yep. what, what was the process for that? Um, well, I, I started thinking about maybe, okay, how can I study uh, a little bit of formal Chinese in Taiwan? And then I, I heard about the scholarship that the government offers for people studying Chinese in Taiwan. So I got all the materials together and I applied for that and I did get that scholarship for a half a year. Oh. And uh, once I got that, I started packing up my stuff and I, it was official that I was going to move. And then uh, I just took a plane and came. Oh, actually, I went back to the U.S. for a summer and then after that, I flew back to Taiwan and started. So when you when you apply for the scholarship, do you get to choose what school you want to go to? 
Yeah, actually, you have to choose. Originally, I didn't, and I was thinking, oh, I'm just going to get the scholarship. If I get the scholarship, then I'll move to Taiwan, and then I'll buy a motorcycle, and I'll drive around, and I'll, like, the place that speaks to me the most, I'll settle down there. This very, like, romantic idea. And I remember after I got accepted, then, like, two days later, she called, the woman called me on the phone and said, oh, you never chose a university. You need to choose by tomorrow morning. We can't issue you the scholarship. So I just kind of scrambled to research uh, a couple different cities and universities, and I ended up choosing Taichung, Donghai University. Okay, so, so this, so getting the scholarship, would you say is that something that's easy to? Um, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. There was a lot of um, materials that they needed, and then also I had to write a pretty uh, convincing, let's say, like uh, essay about why I thought I either deserved or would, you know, what I would do with the scholarship or whatever. Um, and I tried to focus. I know that the Taiwanese government is part of the reason they do these scholarship programs is because they want to foster Taiwan positive scholarship, right? Mm -hmm. uh, people who eventually would go back to the U.S. or go to the West or go somewhere else and teach Chinese, but then have a kind of pro-Taiwan, not necessarily political, but a pro-cultural agenda where they have positive experiences in Taiwan and they're sharing Chinese language from a Taiwanese perspective mm -hmm. um, a little bit. And so I made sure to kind of emphasize that, you know, part of the reason I wanted to learn Chinese in Taiwan was so that I had a better, more well-rounded understanding of Chinese, not just a mainland-specific perspective. So for, so for someone applying for this scholarship, that's what you'd recommend they do? Yeah, actually. And then I, rec I, I recommended that to another friend, and the way he kind of added that into his, his essay, and he also got the scholarship. Okay. I'm not sure if that's like a shoot. <laughs> I, I can't guarantee that, but right. I do think that, right, that's, I mean, scholarships are a political thing, especially if they come from the government, right? Right, yeah. So to some extent, they want to know why should we give you this money, you know, and uh, I, I do think that they just want to give it to positive, good people who are doing good things with the money too, but okay. it doesn't hurt. So it's, uh, so what school you choose, uh, it's not that they give scholarships per school or anything like that. No, this one was through directly through the Ministry of Education. Okay. And then I think you can also get pretty decent scholarships from individual universities, but if I remember correctly, you can't have both scholarships at the same time. Oh, okay, got it. If you apply for the MOE one and don't get it, you could apply for the other ones and see if you get those. Okay, so you, you end up getting the scholarship, you come to Taiwan, and so what's your experience living in Taiwan versus uh, Shanghai? Uh, yeah, it's different. I mean, now I've been here almost as long as I was in China, so it's starting to become very normal. Uh, but, uh, so, so for like your day to day experience, what do you notice that's different? Yeah, I get asked this all the time. Uh, <laughs> Taiwanese people really want to know my answer to that question. Uh -huh. Um, I'd say that honestly, it's as different as like Spain and Mexico or okay. UK and the US and, uh, it's like very little things like the body language uh, and the way people behave in public is just different, right? In China, it's much, much bigger country, uh -huh. obviously, with so many more people. So there's a lot more kind of what would be like categorized as unfriendly behavior in public places. But I think that's a large part of that is because of the amount of people there. Right. Um, so it's kind of like New York or something or India. I mean, when I went to India last year, it reminded me a lot of China. And I think that's because of the population. Right. Uh, uh, issue or whatever. And then in Taiwan, it's a little bit more, it's still very dense, but there's less people overall. It's less stressful, I feel. Uh, people are more, generally speaking, are more friendly uh, and more polite, for sure. 
So, so some of these things, I mean, you may even notice going from Taizong to like Taipei, right? Yeah, Taizong. yeah, definitely. Absolutely. It may not be Taiwan specific. It's just... Exactly. And I, yeah, I think it's really important to point that out because people often go, oh, Chinese people are so rude and so rude. It's like, well, if you go to a small town in China, they're not. Right. You know, and in many of the smaller places I went, people were extremely friendly. Sure. You know, and uh, like, I think, yeah, that's often a component of it just being a very, very busy, dense place with no one has the time for anybody, right? Let alone a foreigner. Right. So... Okay, so so what's uh, next for you? What are your long-term plans? Do you plan to stay on in Taiwan, or what would you like to do? Well, I ended up marrying a local, so my wife is from Taiwan, so oh. I think yeah, I'll be here for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as future future, we might end up moving back into the U.S. someday. But uh, for now, we're definitely staying in Taiwan. I'm still you know, in the online language learning industry and trying to do more stuff with Chinese language learning and Mm-hmm. Still considering that master's, I ended up coming here and then just living here, oh. deciding to not pursue a master's. And so I've been here for you know four years or whatever, and I haven't done that yet. And so that's still in the back of my mind. I might do that someday. Right. But uh, but yeah. So with your wife, do you communicate in English or Chinese? Uh, Chinese. Actually. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, From okay. I mean, uh, her English is getting quite good. But when we met, it wasn't wasn't bad by any means. But we yeah. didn't meet in English. We met in Chinese, and so. I think the foundation of our relationship was built on Chinese, right? So, um, we even though we can communicate in English, we, we communicate in Chinese. Yeah, with uh, with relationships, like especially when you get into like if you get into a fight or something like that. Yeah. So you're at the level where you can express yourself fully in Chinese. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's uh, good. I, well, I mean, to express myself fully, I guess, is a relative term, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, the problem with that, right, is often when you're fighting, it's easy to blame language, uh-huh. like uh, just, oh, well, you misunderstood me because we were speaking Chinese and I'd said it incorrectly or something, you know, so I try to, I try to not do that as much as I can and give okay. myself no, no excuses, but I, yeah, definitely, even though uh, I'm advanced enough to, to communicate entirely in Chinese, I still think often uh, there's still definitely room for miscommunication, no matter how fluent you think you are. Right. Right. So. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much. That was very uh, insightful. I appreciate all the feedback you've given, and I'll forward you any comments that people have about this. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It was nice talking to you, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Okay, thanks, Jason. Thanks a lot. Okay.